just set up the stage here for a second. Hey, how many of you guys went to Marriageable yesterday? All right, we got some marriageable ladies in the house, I guess. Some of the guys, come on, where's that low bass? Yeah. I went to Marriageable. It was great. It was uh, about 90 people came yesterday, and the whole day was about how do we do, uh, how do, we do relationships. And what I loved about it was it was so uh, focused on wholeness, on internal wholeness, and how if we're internally whole, we can be actually enter into healthy relationships. There's one funny moment happened in the very beginning. All these guys showed up. They were like the, it seemed like all the guys were the first ones to come. And they all sat at, like, it was broken up at all these tables. And all the guys sat together. And I was like, I, I like looked across the room. I was like, guys, 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 this is the wrong thing to do. There's going to be beautiful women here that you need to sit with them. So I, I quickly went and broke them up in all the tables. And that attracted all the ladies to sit with them. So I hope some relationships come out of yesterday. Well, hey, this is a continuation message. We're taking a little bit of a, a pause. Uh, Clark, last week started, uh, we're looking at the authority of the Bible. Uh, so we, that was last week. This uh, weekend is kind of a continuation of marriageable. So I'm just going to be talking about relationships in community. That's the focus of today. And then we're going to pick up uh, the authority of the Bible for the next two weeks. So, but I, I want you to imagine that this bowl is me. Okay? All my strengths all my weaknesses, all my intellectual capacities, my relational abilities, my social skills, my quirks, the weird things that I do. This is me. This is Phil. This is, the, this is my like, essence. This is how God made me. It's a cuisine art bowl. Small. It fits in like kind of a stack of small, medium, large. It's great for three egg omelets. And I imagine that whoever made, like in the cuisine art factory, as they were like stamping these things out, on the conveyor belt, it was leaving, and whoever made it was like, I am so stoked for this bowl to function really well in the world, right? And it leaves, and it's like, I can't wait to see how it works. So this is me. And some days, I'm like, I'm really proud to be me. I love my shine. I'm pretty strong. You can drop me. I won't get hurt that badly. But other days, I don't like myself as much. And I say, oh, man, I kind of wish I was someone different. And a couple reasons for that. One is that I see other bowls in the world around me, and I say, oh, man, I wish I was a little bigger. I wish I was like that bowl. Or different people over the course of my life kind of have a comment about, about my bowl. Sometimes it's positive, but often they're little negative comments. Oh, Phil, I wish you were more like this. And so what I learned is over the course of my life, I can actually put on kind of a different image. And I start to become more like this beautiful ceramic bowl. Isn't this beautiful? Put on my, you know, all the blue speckles, a little bit larger, can hold a plant. It's just a, a little bit more beautiful. And, and maybe some people are like, oh, I really like you being more like this ceramic bowl, Phil. And so I learn over the course of my life, I've learned, man, I can, I can project this kind of different image than what I really am, but people actually really like that. And so I can easily start doing that more. So what is this called? This is called image management. And we all do it in different ways. So let me give you a couple examples from my life. Okay, I'm going to look back, and then I'm going to do some current ones. So looking back, I remember specifically one time in elementary school, I was more of a sensitive kid, empathetic. I could feel people's feelings, and I, and I appreciated it. Like I, I cared for people. But I remember this group of friends that I wanted to be a part of. It was, you know, back when we were 
elementary school kids, we, you know, you can make fun of people. We, it's just a way to make sure you feel like you're on the in crowd, right? And so this group of friends is making fun of this one kid in our class. And I remember, like, that really, that's painful for this kid. But I made a conscious choice to join in making fun because I said, hey, that's going to make me fit in. So instead of being my empathetic, sensitive self that cares for others, I put this on. I said, I'm going to make fun of this kid as well. When I was in middle school, I was a little bit chubbier kid, had a hard time taking the baby fat off. And I remember specifically a couple kids made a comment about that. And maybe you've, we've all been in middle school and those little comments about us are so devastating, right? And so I remember going right home and being like, dad, we're going to the gym. Let's, 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 get a, let's get a membership at the local Y and we're going. And so almost every morning we did. Nothing wrong with going to the gym. I love going to the gym. I think we should all be going to the gym. But the problem was is that my motivation was in order to, I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to look like something that would be more accepted. How about high school? Classic time of peer pressure, right? The reason why I actually like ventured into drinking alcohol in high school, which violated some of my family's values, honoring my mother and father, and also violated the law. The reason why I did was because, well, that's what the guys were telling me to do. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to violate some of the values that I stand by in order to, to, to drink, in order to fit in. Here's some current ones. So we were in staff meeting this past week. And this past week, ADS, the discipleship school, we did an extended fast, like a food fast. And we broke this week. And, and some of the guys in the office knew that. And they were like, they were joking with me. They were like, oh, Phil, you're probably doing like a 40-day fast, right? And, all, and then they were like, oh, yeah, Phil's so hardcore. He does like a f- water and a food fast. Like, it's, he's crazy. And I, and I was like, you know, we all then just joked because we know that wasn't the case. I was doing a three-day fast. But I didn't say anything. And the reason why, and I was, I was reflecting on it afterwards, is I liked the image that they were putting up that Phil is this like hardcore spiritual dude. So I didn't say anything. I just kind of was like, Haha, yeah, I, I probably would do that. You know, I didn't say that, but I was feeling that in my head. <laughs> I liked the image that was being projected about me. Uh, all you parents out there, you'll, you'll relate to this one. I was hanging out with two of my college buddies just a couple weeks ago. They each have three kids. I have my hand and Ava. We're playing in this big room. It's time for cleanup. All the parents are like, all right, everybody clean up, clean up. And all the kids feel like, clean up, clean up, everybody, everywhere. You know what I mean? It feels like every other kid in the room started doing the cleanup thing, except for my Hannah. She, she freaked. She was like, no, it's not time. You know, I'm going to play. <laughs> and, okay, so what that does in a parent's heart is that, I, okay, so I was just, I, first of all, I was shocked. Second of all, I was, I was, the anger just started to rise, right? So I quickly whisked her up, took her out of the room, had to have a talk with her. But again, reflecting afterwards, I was like, why did the anger rise up so much when my little Hannah did that in front of everybody? Well, it's because I want to project, especially to my college buddies, that I'm a great parent that's got discipline on lockdown, that when I say to my kids, clean up, they're like, yes, sir, let's do this. And when they don't, I'm, I can get angry, right? So I like the image of that, but that's actually not the reality all the time. Here's another Simple example. How many times have you been in a conversation and someone kind of says a word that you don't understand, but you play it off like you do? <laughs> we all do it. The other day, this, this is the word that someone said in a conversation with me, and, I, and I, uh, the word polemic. And I was like, yeah, like, like the North and South Poles. You know, I, that's what I was thinking. 
But if you know what that word means, it means like a verbal or written attack against someone or something. So I didn't put it together. But, but right then in the conversation, I was like, yeah, I totally know what you're saying. Totally, yeah. And then you Google it later and find out what it actually means. But again, why would I not have the humility just to ask? Well, it's because I don't want to project an image that I'm not intelligent or I don't, I'm as intelligent as this person. Then we have all these ways that we, we manage our image or try to manage our image. Can you start to think of the ways that you guys have? We project an image to the world that we think will be more accepted or we allow people to communicate to us who we are and we say, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's who it is. Instead of saying, no, no, this is really who I am. Okay, so why? Why then do we do this? Why do we manage our image? Well, here is the truth. Okay, God created each one of you. When we read Genesis 1 and 2, you see that God created the world and he created humans. And he said that humans, you are very good when he created you. And then in Genesis 1.27, he says that in the image of God, we are created. So that means that every single one of you, every single person in this city, every single person in this world has intrinsic value because we were created in the image of God. Before we do anything, Before we have any performance, before we act the right way, before all of that, God says that this is very good. You are made in my image, so you are good. So your authentic self is very good. But here's the problem. We see this in Genesis 3, is that sin enters the world. And with sin comes brokenness. So Adam and Eve, God says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet they chose to disobey. And so what happens is sin enters the world, and then we see brokenness quickly following. So let me just give a couple examples of brokenness that maybe many of you have experienced or know about or seen in this world. Rejection by friends and family. Abandonment by caregivers. Trauma, all sorts of trauma, physical, sexual, emotional. Death in your family. Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder from different hard things that happen to you. Sickness. Pain, both physical and emotional. Failure, we try things and we fail. Addiction to drugs, sex, alcohol, entertainment. Judgment from other people. Divorce, racism, hate crimes. This is the brokenness that we see all around us and that many of you have these deep moments or deep wounds in your life that you're like, yeah, that's me. That happened to me. Okay, so all of these things come because of sin. Sin is horrible. Sin is terrible. Sin is trying to destroy our world and each one of us. So we have learned, as humans, we've learned that this world then is not a safe place. That's just our response. We've learned that it's not a safe place to be because of this brokenness. And so we're so afraid of being wounded again that we do two things. First of all, we isolate. So we pull away from people specifically because so much of the pain and brokenness that we experience comes because of our relationships with others. So our tendency is to isolate. We say, oh, I'll be safe if I pull away from people. Second thing we do is that we actually hide our authentic selves. We become something else because this something else we feel will be more accepted and more loved than what we really are. Okay, so those are the two things that we do. So that's what sin does. It brings brokenness in, and that's, why we, that's part of the reason why we try to manage our image. The second reason, again, we see this in Genesis 3, is that Satan, the father of lies, is in this world, and he's trying to speak to each one of you guys. This is the reality of spiritual warfare that's going on 
right now. And one of the things that he does is he's trying to tell you lies all the time. Let me give you a couple examples of what some of those lies would be. You're looking at yourself in the mirror. And what's that little voice you hear in your, in the, in your head? I'm not beautiful. Oh, you know, in fact, I'm actually ugly. And I'll never be beautiful. No one will ever find me beautiful. This is kind of the seeds of self-hate that start to get embedded in our lives. For me personally, I work for a church. I think one of the things that the, the lies that Satan's always trying to tell me is he's always saying, hey, where's your fruit? What have you done recently for, for me? How have you been changing people's lives? Where's your fruit? That guy you're discipling, why isn't, he, why isn't he living the way he's supposed to be living? That person you just shared the gospel with, why didn't they respond? Oh, it's you, right. You're not fruitful. Self-condemnation. You're in work. You're saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can, but you hear this little voice, oh, you're not good enough, or you're not intelligent enough. You see that other guy over there? He's going to get that promotion that you think you deserve. He's smarter than you. He's better than you. You're in grad school or school. Constant comparison to all the other students around you wondering, oh, they're probably going to do better things in this world than me. Comparison. You see, Satan is continually trying to say, hey, you are, this right here is bad. Who God made you to be is bad. So you should look like someone else or try to be like someone else because then you'll actually do something in this world. So we see that both sin and Satan lead us to try to manage our image and be someone who we're not. So why is this actually a bad thing? Why is it a bad thing that we, you know, kind of try to adapt and try to heal, you know, kind of heal ourselves or try to uh, project a, a positive image so that we're accepted? Why is that actually a bad thing? Well, two things. Because it kills us. And because it kills God's heart. It kills us. And I don't want to say it kills God's heart, but it's p- deeply painful to God. As a father of two little girls, I do not want my little girls to have to act differently than who they are, who God made them to be. That devastates me. That's the same way that God views us. So it kills us and it, ki- it really hurts God. Why? Because we cannot minister to our world like we should when we're continually trying to put our energy in being something we're not instead of operating the giftings that we actually have. We become so self-focused, trying to change to be accepted, that we cannot be others-focused. So why is image management bad? It's because we cannot even minister in this world the way that we should be. Second thing is that, why is it bad? Why, why does it kill us? Is that we end up rejecting ourselves. We literally are rejecting the way that God made us. Okay, can you imagine if Clark came up on the stage and started looking at me and started berating me and being like, Phil, I wish you were taller. I wish you were more athletic. I wish you were a better communicator. Man, when you play piano, you really need to improve in that. Oh, your voice, whoo, needs a lot of work. You will never be the minister that I will be. You need to work on all these things. Man, what would you do to Clark? I would hope you'd take him outside and mess him up. But that's the voice. We, some, we so often do that to ourselves. So we, other people don't know that that's happening to us. It's just happening in our inner world. Those, those, those kind of self-hate messages are happening all the time. So we reject ourselves, and we reject the way that God actually made us. And then finally, we have no capacity for intimacy with others. We're projecting this image to the world. This is actually who I am when, when 
Who you are is back here. This is who you are authentically. And when anybody, if you ever feel like someone's getting close, so often many of us, we, we get afraid and we run because we're like, if you really knew who I was, I'd be rejected. So this is for, I mean, I just, just want to specifically say for anybody who's interested in dating or who is single, be your authentic self. Do not change to try to attract someone else to you. Who you are is authentically beautiful and someone will love you for exactly the way, way God made you to be. So who can we look to? Who can we look to for help? Well, we have to turn our eyes to Jesus. We have to learn from him on how to live authentically ourselves. You know, one of the things that I often think is I say, if Jesus really is the son of God, if he is God in flesh, then everything that he said and every way that he lived is our perfect example. There's no other person we should go to or need to go to other than looking to Jesus to know how to live. And so when I look, when I say, how do we stop managing our image and live our authentic selves? I say, we turn to Jesus and we say, how did you do it? And one of the mark, marking verses that I think of when I think of Jesus' life, I think of Matthew three seventeen before his recorded earthly ministry, before it says that Jesus did anything, we see heaven opening and God speaking down over his son. He says, this is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. And that's how Jesus acted and lived the rest of his life as his authentic self. But you see, the thing is, is that he still lived in this sinful world with brokenness all around. He still had the lies of Satan coming at him. So he faced the things that we face, yet he chose and he was able to live his authentic self. Right? When I think of right after that scene of, of Jesus' baptism and, G- and God speaking over that, he goes into the wilderness. And one of the ways that Satan tries to trick him is saying, hey, worship me and you will be the ruler of the world. Everybody will worship you. Everybody will, will want to follow you if you do this. And Jesus says, no, I worship God and God alone. I think of the way that Jesus interacted with his disciples Right? He calls 12 men to follow him. And, and we see throughout the Gospels that they had a little bit of a skewed view of what it actually meant to follow Jesus. Right, Because they thought he was going to become the Messiah King that overthrows Rome. Right? Overthrows the Roman ro- rule. They say, We're gonna, you're going to be the king. And we get to be at your right hand. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I came to serve, not to be served. I'm going to die. I think of all the religious rulers. They got so angry at Jesus. He didn't play into this kind of religious power system message that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were kind of putting out. No, he said, that's not the way to live at all. This is the, we, we live with justice. We live uh, loving God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not about all the religious laws that you've set up. He lived his authentic self. So how is this good news for us? Well, the reality is, is that at the end of his life, Jesus was killed on a cross. But then three days later, he rose again from the dead. The most powerful weekend in history happened. We're going to be celebrating at Easter coming up. But with that death and resurrection, the Bible says that the power of sin was broken. And anybody who believes then in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and says that Jesus is my Lord now, that the power of sin has no longer the effect that it once had on me. Because I'm no longer a slave of sin, I'm a slave of righteousness. 
I live in right. I am righteous. And so that power of sin that I talked about that creates us, that causes us to manage our image because of the brokenness that we've experienced, that no longer has to lead us to that. We can then live our authentic lives because of the gospel. Secondly, it says that when we believe in Jesus' death and resurrection, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes into us. And so then all of a sudden, the lives of the, of the evil one that continue tries to speak these things, we actually have the living God living in us that can speak the true identity right back at those lies. And so in the power of the gospel, we have the way that we don't have to manage our image anymore. We can live our authentic lives just like Jesus did. So what do we do? How do we stop managing our image? How do we stop living like this? How do we stop portraying this image to the world? Well, I believe... We need to shatter the image. And we need to live our authentic lives. I'll go down as one of those epic images. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I was really afraid it was going to shatter everywhere, so I, I took it easy. But We need to shatter the image that we create. And we need to live our authentic lives. So what does this actually mean? How does this get practical for you guys? First of all, many of you guys, many of us, we need to begin with repentance. For too long, we have partnered with lies. For too long, we have allowed the lies of self-hate, self-condemnation, self-doubt to kind of allow us to think, oh, that's actually who I really am. I, I am those lies that the devil has told me. And we have chosen not to agree with who Jesus has said that we are. So we need to repent. And we need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm turning from those lies. No longer do I want those to dominate my life. It's just happened in two specific ways for me almost in this past month. I just felt like I just had these feelings, these dominant feelings of self critique and self-doubt about who I was and who, my ability to minister in the world. And I also thought that almost whatever like, thing that I put my hand to or, or the, my, my employment, the things that I was going to, to work in, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever be fruitful. I don't know if I'll ever be uh, who God wants me to truly be. So I just had this kind of, I call it a cloud of self-doubt and self-criticism. And I just had this moment recently where I was like, Lord, no, no longer do I want to partner with those lies. And I just had to come to Jesus, and I, I had to repent for the, that partnership. I had to repent for believing those over and over and over again and not believing actually who he spoke and said that I am. So I think many of us, we need to just start in this place of repentance for partnering with those lies. Secondly, for some of us, you may or may have never actually received the gospel or said, Jesus, I believe in your death and your resurrection. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And what I picture, just a simple image of that is, I just picture Jesus coming, holding your hands, walking with you to the Father, and you get this opportunity to say, look at the Father and say, do you really love me? Do you love this? 
And I just pictured the father saying, of course I love this. I made this. I made you. And that's what the gospel is, is Jesus restoring our relationship with the father. And then I think for all of us, and this is where I, this is where I just want to see our community thrive in this place, is us being a community that lives authentically, that communicates this to those around us. And how do we actually do that? I just think very practically, it's, it's just living from a place of vulnerability. Living from a place of vulnerability means that you are living, vulnerability means exposing yourself to attack or you know, bringing down the defenses. And so in D groups and in life groups and in pure desire groups, are we willing to actually bring down the defenses and say, hey guys, this is who I am. This is my sin struggle. This is those, those parts of my life that I have pain in. This is that part of my life that, that I struggle with. This is the part of my life that I'm actually, sh- I feel shame about. Would you be willing to share that with others? What we learn in, if we are in a loving community, if we're in a loving D group, when we do that, and then we receive unconditional acceptance when you, when you kind of share these things, that's creating an environment of healing that will heal those wounds that you've experienced. It will communicate to you that your authentic self, who you really are, is beautiful, and we actually love you for this, not for that. You can be this to us. You are accepted. God, in, this is what James, uh, Jordan Ogden said yesterday, that grace is incarnated to us through loving community. Acceptance is incarnated to us through this group right here. God's acceptance and grace is shown through love and community. This has been my desire, uh, this has been my experience as I've been in pure desire groups. Pure desire is our church's way of saying, hey, we want to approach and really come against uh, sexual addiction in both men and women. And so I've been a part of two of these groups. And it is the most beautiful thing when a group of guys says, hey, I don't have it all together. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty messed up. I've done this, 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 and this. And I actually not, never thought I'd ever share this with anybody. But here I am. I'm sharing it. And instead of rejection, we communicate, we love you, brother. We're going to walk with you into freedom. And that moment right there, no, it doesn't bring immediate healing, but the environment of healing over the course of time allows for guys to believe, oh, who I really am is worthy. Who I really am, God loves me for me. In ADS, the discipleship school that my wife and I, we direct, many of you have been through, we try to create a community that you can actually share who you really are. We don't want you to share the image. We want you to share authentically who you are. But just because we create the environment doesn't mean it happens. This interesting thing happens every single year. There's always one student who kind of takes this first courageous step to be vulnerable. And then when, other, when they do that, and then, and then everybody kind of like, whoa, dude, thank you for taking that step. What happens is that almost everyone else says, all right, we're going there too. That's been my experience every single year in ADS. And so I want to say, do you have the courage to be that first step in your D group, in your life group, in your small group of friends? Are you willing to take that courageous first step of vulnerability? I dream of everyone. I dream of Antioch Brighton being a place where we know how to be vulnerable and real and honest and authentic with one another. 
So why doesn't the band come on up? Here's how we're going to respond. I, I'm, I, as I was you know, coming into this message, I've just been praying. Lord, I know that you're, kind of, you're, you're revealing what you need to reveal to each one in this room. And so, you might be in a place where I just need to repent. I need to repent of the lie that I've been agreeing with. I need to repent of that, that kind of voice that's in my head that, I, that I've actually said, you know what, that's actually right. So you need to, just need to start with repentance. So that might be you. Secondly, you might be in this place where you're like, you know what, I have, I know that my life is all about managing my image. That's just been how I, that's, that's who I've been for years and years and years. So I don't even know, my, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know who my authentic self is. I don't even know who you created me to be. Well, I encourage you to just say, Jesus, shatter the image. He will be so gentle with you, trust me. But he will be good to shatter the image because he wants you to live like this. And if you have no idea what to do, pray that. And then this week, you go to Romans 8. And you just start reading that. You read that passage over and over and over. You just start journaling. God, who do you say I am? Romans 8 is one of those passages that I just return to all the time because it just communicates identity, identity, identity. Who are you? And then finally, I just say, guys, can we be ones that lead out courageously in vulnerability in our groups this week? Can we be ones that well, the next time where you feel like you're, there's a place of potential, oh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm about to share something, but you feel that voice, no, no, don't share that. You're going to be rejected if you say that. That's going to be weird if you say, I'm just like, will you be courageous? Will you lead the way? Will you go there? And I promise if you're received with love and grace, things will start to heal in your life. And you'll start to believe that who God made me to be is actually very good. So we're going to respond. If you need to come forward, what coming forward communicates is I need prayer. I'm going to pray. Yeah, and I'm sorry for all the shards of glass in the ground. Let's avoid this area. But just that's a communication of saying I want prayer. Okay, we'll come and pray for you. You need to respond in any other way. You just do it, but I just pray right now. Lord Jesus, lead us to a place of vulnerability and living our authentic lives. Thank you for being our perfect example. You lived the perfect example of being authentic. And so I just pray that that, that our community be infused with that, Lord, that that would be the way that we live in our relationships. Lord, we repent of any place that we partner with lies. And we say, Jesus, come and reveal those areas. We, we Come and reveal those places in our mind this morning. In Jesus' name. So come forward if you want prayer or just engage in worship.